All right, what's up, everybody? This is Zach. This is, I already said we had one special episode. This is another special episode. This is our special uh, Breach of the Week and CyberArk style. CyberArk style. So we are joined by another, that was that other voice uh, was Justin, of course. Justin, hello. What's happening? Uh, and today we are joined by Brandon. Brandon, what's going on? Keeping it real. Brandon is down in uh, a warm part of the country, so which normally we would be very upset at, but it's actually pretty warm up here. So we're going to let that slide. But he's uh, he's repping the 404. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. And, and resources not found. What's the, <laughs> what's, what was the error code? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's why right. it's the most popular area code amongst nerds. That's why you hear it in so many songs. That's, <laughs> that's the total only it, reason why Atlanta's it's Atlanta's Entire tech industry is just built around the fact that the area code is 404. That would be 100%. great. That's I hope that's true. I'm gonna we'll 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 fact check that after. I don't think it is. Um so Brandon, uh you're from CyberArk. Maybe a little bit of background. What do you do? Uh how how you how'd you get there? What do you what's what's your story? Yeah, so um at one point I was just I was hanging up I hang out outside of a Taco Bell and uh CyberArk van just came by and and threw me in. <laughs> there um, we go. That's that's how all the best stories start. Yeah, I mean, if, if only that were the case. No, so um, I function at CyberArk as one of the engineering directors. So my primary responsibility is, uh, well, helping folks uh, become more secure and uh, trying to draw focus on super powerful access and why you shouldn't uh, write your passwords on Post-it notes. But uh, prior to CyberArk and being on the security side of things, I, I sort of went in reverse order. I started out as a, a developer and an application owner across a number of AX LPARs. And then uh, when I found out I was just a terrible developer altogether, I decided <laughs> to move more into uh, systems administration, which then morphed into working for a number of different uh, security vendors on the product side before being a little bit more uh, field facing. Oh, interesting. So you went from being bad at making it to fixing the problems of other bad programmers. I wouldn't say we're looking at <laughs> fixing bad programming oh, okay. problems, but uh, admittedly, um, I went from being one of the most difficult to deal with end users <laughs> ever. And I feel like I, I still am. I'm a little bit of a prima donna when it comes to why you removed my administrative rights uh, <laughs> to making sure that when we talk about why something should be secure, we're not also creating all of these different lame operational speed bumps that make your super smart people, which I am not one of less effective uh, because then bugs aren't fixed, then new releases don't go out, and then we all end up wondering why the developers hate us so much. And we've actually talked about that in a couple Breach of the Week episodes because, yeah, there's a there's a degree of like, so you can be very secure and have lots of like layers to the onion to get to the, the I was going to say the best part of the onion, but uh, I think the layers uh. are actually the best part of the onion. <laughs> and uh, so you get to the middle. But then uh, it becomes so onerous that people are like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and clear this path for you and you can go ahead and get into it. So that's that's a good point to bring up early in this because we have talked about that numerous times about uh, actually that was sort of how the the Twitter. Uh, I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't necessarily a breach. I guess it was. But that was like uh, they got it was all of the people who manage their like God mode uh, console was like. You know, they're like, yeah, we just passed the credentials around because it was too much of a pain to have to go through all of the, you know, checks right. and MFAs that we yeah. had set up. That was that was last month. It was last month. That wasn't yep. that. Everything time is like uh, a construct now that I can't wrap my head around. So yeah, I don't I don't know if it's going fast or slow. I, yeah, it's sometimes I'm like this is it feels like an attorney, and then other times I'm like, oh gosh, it's almost November. Yeah. Like so. right, I like I feel this 
like this year has been long, but I'm like, Oh, it's already November. Right. Maybe it flew by. I don't know. Just uh, so you're aware, we often can't keep on topic or subjects matter. I mean, but- that's, that's fair. I am um, admittedly when I, when I think of it, I, uh, I don't look at the clock anymore. Like, I feel like I just judge time by the amount of like sunshine. So I like crawl out of the cave and I'm like, mm, sun is wow, still. You have sunshine. Sky. That is nice. See, we can't do that in Vermont. We don't have sun very often. Oh yeah. Sorry. I judge I, time I by how much a- coffee I'm on my, I think my eighth cup of coffee, which means it's about probably three o'clock and yeah, it's about two forty two right now. So yeah, I am. I'm still living off my double espresso from this morning. Oh, there we go. Rocket fuel. So I guess, uh, You know, what we try to do is think of like examples, uh, you know, usually we're kind of specifically going after companies, but because we don't want to get you in trouble, you know, I guess if you could maybe provide like sort of an example of, of where you or CyberArk, like you saw something that occurred that like either inspired you to like, oh my gosh, we got to like get this fixed or, uh, was like, oh my God, if we were only there, we could have stopped this. Mm -hmm. I'm really, there, that's a loaded question. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are a couple of solid ones. I guess we, uh, we want recent, right? It's it doesn't have to week, be too right? recent. I mean, the recent ones are probably juicier, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, cause I think, uh, so Scott gave us a really good background of like why you guys exist and sort of the purpose of like how CyberArk sort of is securing things. But I think we didn't really get into like, what happens in a scenario where cyber isn't there or how do you guys go in and actually like help someone out after it occurs? And I think we, I think we can stick on, Ooh, I know we'll stick on the, the developer topic and I'll, I'll do a, maybe a couple of different ones and then kind of link them together. Um, so a a lot of times, uh, consistency of security is a conversation that we find ourselves having pretty often because when you go into an organization and you talk to the security leaders or the identity leaders or whoever they may be, and you're like, Hey, how are you setting up strong access? And I will, I will either a guarantee you that I'll, if you don't find this out, I'll stand on my head and need a bucket full of scorpions that they'll start. That's like a car salesman thing. I don't know if you guys have <laughs> car salesmen who eat buckets of scorpions. Up no, Vermont, Vermont has no car sales. We don't do that. We just all buy Subarus cause they're the best car. So I mean, or, or horses. and there's or, definitely no scorpions. <laughs> Uh, that we do not have. I can promise you there's no scorpions. <laughs> I, um, that must be a great existence that you have without scorpions, but there's uh, but like like nothing to, to be afraid of up here. We have no fire ants. We have no score. There's nothing that can kill you. Well, other than the cold, yeah. like icicles. I don't know. Can I icicles? Like, that's true. That yes. Happen? That's do a good like point. That is a real hazard. Thank you for bringing that up. I mean, I think maybe we should just change the topic to icicle <laughs> safety. Um, but, uh, but jokes aside, like when you start talking to these teams, They'll start telling you about how humans are secured. Like, uh, well, I know Brandon. Hey, there he is. He's got his multi-factor tokens and stuff. And maybe we've removed his powerful rights or maybe he's got to use a vault or something like that. And so Brandon is, 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 is easy to secure, not easy to secure, but he's easy to focus on because he's human. We're all human here. Flesh and blood, we can relate. Oh, however, there is an ever increasing number of privileged or non-privileged entities, things that bad guys are using that don't have heartbeats like we do. The applications, the machines, the robots, all that good stuff to where when you start to talk to security teams about the non-humans, 
somehow we've gone from like uh, friendly people to like terminators with like their lasers and skynet and all that stuff because we've got these cold and unfeeling processes that need strong access just like people do if not more that somehow we don't want to touch because they're a little bit different or we don't know where every instance of this access might be so in a lot of cases whether it be looking for this kind of stuff in public code repositories which admittedly sometimes i like to feel like i'm uh like i'm good at finding secrets in the wild. So I'll pop onto <laughs> GitHub, I'll search for, I don't know, pick your favorite secret, uh, cloud provider underscore access key or whatever. Type Back it right in. Roots. Yeah, exactly. Uh, root, Groot, Tour. But type it in, search for recent code commits, and you will find people's secrets just hanging out there in public code repositories. It's like that conversation we used to have about not writing the administrative password on the whiteboard in the office and sharing it around, but multiplied by a billion because now it's being made available on the internet. And it's not because developers don't care about security, it's just because it's not top of mind, right? There's other stuff to do, so what do you do? Well, you may say, well, I got to go out and I got to define and identify every single instance of where applications are, uh, are accessing stuff. And yeah, you can do that. It'll take a while. But instead, start to prioritize. There are elements uh, inside of the org. And I'll get to the story in a second. This is kind of all the, all the lead up. There are elements in the org that are non-human, but also owned by security elements of the business. Case in point, um, a number of moons ago, because I also look at time these days by the amount of times I see the moon in the sky. That's good. That's how that's um, we used to be done. A number of moons ago, during uh, during just a pretty standard engagement, we uh, we ran a scan. Uh, Cyborg has this free solution called DNA or Discovery and Audit, but it reaches out. It looks for secrets, human and non-human, all over the place. But we ran the scan. Um, it was a financial institution that we were working with. Uh, regional, so not not huge, huge, but not small either. And we found on every single system, there was one secret that had uh, valid hashes. So we was actively logging in. Uh, the credential hadn't been changed in 15 years. Wow. Like, wow. Almost, impressive. almost old enough to vote. <laughs> so super old crusty secret was being used everywhere. It was a first initial last name. So it was a personal account. And um, uh, if you're hearing me already, you see that uh, I'm, I'm kind of a silly guy or silly looking. I don't know what it is, but I tried to make a joke out of it, right? Because what do you do when you're looking at this data of this super uh, straightforward to compromise secret that's really, oh, well, you laugh about it. It's like, hey, who is this person? Let's let's go find them and like give them a prize. <laughs> and, and the person we were chatting with kind of put their head down and they were like, well, that's the CEO. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Founder. So yeah, the one who's like, oh, you want me to change my password? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> exactly. So the CEO secret, uh, again, logging in every day, that's kind of weird. Super active CEO. I don't know. Executives are cool. Um, accessing all this stuff, super old password. And so my question was awkwardly, well, you know, why? Um, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but domain administrative level credentials, right? So we're not talking about just a personal secret. We're talking about super powerful. Um, so the response was, well, I'm not going to tell the CEO that because I don't want to get fired, dude. Fair enough. But what happened? <laughs> well, valid point. Change the password, remove the user from that highly privileged group. Life went on. Uh, but it gets even more interesting. So the next day we, we come back in and we're doing the engagement and uh, 
chilling in the lobby back when you could go to lobbies and stuff. And uh, we couldn't get started. So they told us, hey, there's been a SEV1 issue uh, on the security side. Like we got to focus on it, but we'll like bring you people in like later. And we sat in the lobby for like a couple hours um, until the coffee ran out. And then they came out and they were like, hey, we fixed it. And I was like, what was it? Well, there was an issue with our vulnerability scams. Okay, what kind of issue? <laughs> well, the authentication's failing. No. Yeah. This hyper-visible employee, if not the most visible employee, super highly privileged secret, was the service account they were using for authenticated scans in their environment. So as a oh, bad boy. guy, if I began moving laterally and doing naughty stuff with that secret, to the sock, it would just, I don't know, look like a Tuesday? I mean, a very dark Tuesday. Uh, so what happened? Well, changed it out, used a different one, created a functional account for that approach. And why does that relate to hard-coded secrets? Well, vulnerability scanners, any kind of scanning that you're doing, uh, other security platforms in your space, it's likely owned by the security team and it happens to be a privileged robot. So if you begin to put controls around that and developers hear that you've done it, right? So you've uh, uh, you know, drank your own champagne, eaten your own dog food, whatever metaphor you like, they're far more likely to have that conversation with you versus we're going to come out and we're going to find all your apps and we're going to do all this security stuff. Now, that's not where the story ended. Uh, a number of months later, uh, we were chatting with the team and uh, one of the folks who was around then said, hey, remember that one secret that we found? And y'all, I had to pretend like I hadn't told that story like every day <laughs> since it happened. I was like, no, what? And I'm like trying to like grab oh, yeah, like a notebook and a pen or something. Somewhat I'm like, yeah, what, what happened? Well, it turns out uh, their support team was also using that secret as their kind of uh -huh. de facto service account. And uh, when this engineer asked why, they said, well, the password was just so easy to remember. Like we couldn't help it. Like we had to. So human access you know, stuff we focus on, right? Something like a CEO's secret, but also being used by non-human stuff, creating a perfect storm for a threat actor. And that was just internal. If that secret finds its way like many uh, access keys to public code repositories by accident, lateral movement doesn't need to happen. Like all I need to do is grab it, use it. I may not get a full foothold, but it's a lot easier to do than some of the old school mechanisms of landing expanding that we used to see when stuff chilled out primarily on-prem and was primarily human driven. I mean, I feel like anyone who's ever worked in any degree of tech support or, or certainly cybersecurity has one of those stories and like as shocking as it should be, uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give an example. I, I used to work for, I'm not going to say who, but I worked for a place and uh, you know, it was a, it was a lot of folks who were not tech savvy and they had a lot of different accounts and they just were like, we keep forgetting all of this, like all the passwords and stuff. And so they had this spreadsheet that they just continued to add, uh, I mean, like stuff that was like access to like significant, uh, pieces of information that would be child bus. <laughs> it was child bus. <laughs> uh, so they had these, you know, it was just, and it's, and it all came down to like, the, you know, the motivator of most human activities, which was like, I don't want to do work if I don't have to. Yeah. And remembering a bunch of passwords is a little bit of work. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure the CEO probably had the best intentions, but, uh, that's the other, the other good point that you brought up is the fact that like, you know, 
this is, this is something that, uh, there's a really interesting example through Korean airlines. So a few years ago, there was a Korean airlines plane that crashed in San Francisco. And I think I'm getting the correct crash, correct, but this, the story is generally correct. And it was, so in their, uh, company culture, the, the captain is God. And no matter what, you don't tell that captain that they're wrong at any point. And so on the recordings of this, you could hear the co-pilot saying, Hey, we're low. We need to go up. We need to add power. We're coming in low. And then basically the captain's like, you know, shut up. I know what I'm doing. And sure enough, he strikes his tail, crashes the plane, a bunch of people injured. I don't think anyone died from the accident, but in this case, like I said, I could be mixing this up through a number of stories, but long story short, there's a process called crew resource management. And it was the whole process to give power to everyone within the organization to safeguard them from plane crashes. And it's something that you see in companies where you've got people in high places where if you're not a good, so like Justin's like, he keeps the company pretty flat. Like even though he's the CEO, like he's out on the floor with us, he has a cubicle that he shares with us. So he's available but if you don't have that sort of culture where like people can approach you and talk to you or you create a system of fear, like it doesn't do the company any good. And in this case, like you literally could destroy the company just through, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, people afraid that they're going to get fired for fixing something that is so clearly wrong. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, but generally, like, I think it's it like hits on two things. Like you have doesn't matter how much it goes back to what we always talk about, which is the human factor, which is almost inevitably what's going to take you down. But um, in this case, like you don't really think of company culture as being a cybersecurity risk, but clearly it is because this should have been resolved. I don't know. He said 15 years, the credential had been passed around. Like someone knew in fifth within that 15 years that this was a bad practice and should have said something long time ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would speculating, but I would imagine that person was probably also a developer or system administrator at some point. They were probably the first one using their credentials as service accounts and then they grew. It was like Bob Google, right? Yeah. Starts up a big company. (laughs) Yeah. Starts up at Bob Google. And then pretty soon, like his account turns into a service account and it's on critical systems and it just keeps getting reused and reused and it's on GitHub and just keeps going. And then the hard part is like, you got to change it. Cars you take systems. Uh, yeah, you gotta go through all that stuff. You gotta yeah. What counts what accounts does that go to? Like where is it hooked up to? Yeah. Ah, screw it. We'll just keep it. Yeah. Brandon, so how did so in, in that so maybe in the story you just told or kind of scenario that I just talked about, um, what 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 solution did you guys offer to to help those guys out or that, yeah. that company out? So admittedly, in that first phase, right, it was simply a matter of visibility. So yeah, I know we like to tie stuff to solutioning and here's a piece of technology that can do the trick. But in this part, it was just, it was just a people thing. It was a communication thing. Yeah. Because to your point earlier, like, uh, number one, the CEO probably hadn't even thought that, uh, oh, well, I should probably go and change my password. No, the CEO wasn't asked to change their password, but also, uh, it got buried under a whole bunch of other stuff. And, uh, we see yeah. the same type of theme too as we start to kind of move into cloud teams standing up new infrastructure and services to support the business in that 
we may have no idea what's going on over the fence. So phase one might just be to see what's out there. Um, in that case, um, I mentioned something we call DNA. Um, it's something that's available. Again, it's free. So there are many other things like it that allow us to generate that visibility. So phase one, know what's going on and not everything, right? You don't have to know where every instance of every secret lives. Uh, define patterns, right? If you see like the CEO's secret, if you see it on 200 of your 200,000 systems, it's fair to say that you're probably going to see it more often. So leverage intelligence and pattern generation. But if we take it a step further past the communication to manually change the password, um, in the long run, it was, well, let's place super powerful secrets somewhere. Let's rotate them automatically so you don't have someone whose responsibility is to go out and change passwords. And let's find ways to deliver them to human users and non-human users like the vulnerability scanner. If we take it a step further, we then start to look at how do I not make the process terrible? So how do we inject those secrets? Which is code? key. Yeah. That's an important step. I'm a lazy oh, yeah. person. I do not. The less I have to do, the better. And I'm, I'm completely with you there. I, I prefer to uh, call myself efficient. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah. Lazy, but, but work smart, not hard. Be real. Like I don't, I don't want to make additional effort, especially when I was, uh, when I was on the end user side of things. So to this point, right, let's take the CEO's account as an example, right? We vault it, we rotate it. We say, all right, in order to get your super powerful account user, you need to authenticate to some other thing. And then we'll take you through workflows and all that good stuff. Uh, I'll say, well, that's now added three seconds to my day. And that three seconds I could, you know, spend doing other things. So you've killed my productivity. So, uh, for instance, with my own secrets in the past, um, when I was given by the security team, Hey, you need to, we're going to use a vault or something. You got to come in, you got to check it out. I would say, okay, I come in, I check out at one time. I connect to my system. I make an SSH key pair. I never worry about your human process again. So things like uh, finding ways around our security because the operational impact is too high has been a big side of focus for, I mean, tons of vendors, but uh, but CyberArk especially. So uh, going back to your question, in this case, we uh, implemented a solution that allowed them to discover a vault, rotate their secrets, uh, integrated with their vulnerability scanners so they don't have to worry about well, which secret do I use? Well, how old is it? They don't have to hire somebody whose job it is to update the code or to change passwords and put them through that torturous purgatory that is password change day, as an example. So discovery was the beginning, but uh, management, uh, native access, secrets injection, that came later on down the line. Human, I don't know, just the, the human factor is always something to take into consideration. I think a lot of people miss like, uh, you know, like, what is it, the behavioral economics, right? Isn't that the process of sort of like understanding like the nudge to get things done? And, um, and I think, but to your point earlier, like when you are the one who starts it, you're thinking in such a like linear, like it's, it's a 2d plane. Like you're not sort of like, Oh yeah, there's going to be 500 other people who need to access this. It's going to be, and then those people have to, you know, they're going to have more uh, reach than this other thousand people. And, um, but at the same time, it's something you could think of as you're developing it. Like I would imagine that's best practice in the, in the development space is to, you know, plan for growth, but 
I also think about like these large companies that have, you know, seemingly unlimited resources and are like, yeah, we're not doing that. We'll just wing it. And then when we get, you know, whacked at some point, that's part of the risk game and we'll pay whatever the fines are and we'll continue to do that because we have the money for it. So um, it's, I guess it sort of depends on what's your acceptable level of risk and do you care about cybersecurity or is cybersecurity a symptom of, or I guess not a symptom, but something you, you like, you're like, Oh yeah, I guess we have to deal with it. Yeah. And the companies that care are going to do this stuff, hopefully more thoughtfully. Yeah. I I feel like the bigger you get, the harder it gets. Yeah, for sure. You know, you get more people involved with different interests and different motivations. And, you know, next thing you know, you're rushing to meet a timeline, pushing an app out to the edge just to meet that date, that deliverable and say, Hey, we're going to worry about some of this stuff later. Like we'll get it. We basically have a prototype. Let's go with it we'll you know duct tape the wings as we go in flight yeah we talked about uh like those zombie accounts you know just in personal accounts where like you know you opened up i don't know i'm trying to think your pets.com account you know that you uh created and uh you know forgot about when pets.com died and i don't know was it like 2000 or something it was like the first big do you remember pets.com died Right. I think that's the one. Isn't it the one that had the stupid sock puppet? Oh, oh am I, am I thinking of Peck? I'm thinking of Peck. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, so it was like one of the first, puppet. like, f- yes, it was like the famously, uh, like just collapsed hard. But anyways, it was a very popular website for a while and then it died and you're like, Oh, the company's gone. Yeah. Like you don't think about like all of the stuff that that was connected to the, the, you know, like the administrator access that that's got to all sorts. I mean, like there's all sorts of different things that like, I, I, I don't know the whole thought of like, administrative accounts or just, just account administration. I mean, in general is like nauseating. And as you get bigger, like you said, it's almost uh, untenable without good systems in place. Cause otherwise you literally are just having to go in and, you know, physically manage this stuff on your yeah. own. Yeah. yeah. Which, and, and then, and those systems, right. It's uh, it's the tech side, but it's also that communication framework. You mentioned the human element. Um, uh, for instance, like uh, we, uh, uh, we were chatting with uh, with a company who did some internal red teaming, and they found that 60% of their end users, when presented with a multi-factor prompt, would just hit accept. And it makes sense, right? These days, right. like we're all we're all at home, like network is spotty. Like my internet goes out every day without fail for like 10 minutes, always when I need it most. Like when I'm making a really <laughs> good point, and you just see this weird freeze frame of me like for way too long. But like every day it'll do that. So people will see this uh prompt come in and they'll be like, oh well the internet sucks. I probably made this request earlier. Boop. Well how do you stop that? Well communicate with them, especially these days, right? So letting yeah. folks know, hey, like if you don't know, click deny is a place to start with the human element of things. Same as you would a developer to, hey, if you're hard-coding your secrets in dev, here's a service I can provide to you to where you don't have to do it anymore. And likely, um, with or without uh, uh, giving them ice cream or pizza, they'll say, oh, well, that yeah, that makes good sense. As long as you can give me that service without slowing me down, then, I mean, that's that's reasonable, right? Right, so sounds reasonable to me. Super powerful. Yeah. Brandon, you, talk, you talked about red teaming a little bit. Um, do you guys, um, have you, you guys ever had anybody kind of like re or any company kind of reach out to you guys and be like, you know, Hey, like, you know, we're either under attack, like, and you know, something's happening. We need some help trying to figure out what's going on. Like we need some type of like discovery and transparency to 
so we can triage this and like, have you, I mean, have you guys kind of run across that, that kind of breach scenario that you've worked on? Uh, absolutely. There've been a number of cases over the years where, uh, CyberArk's been the, uh, the second call. So it's, uh, it's, uh, FBI, the uh, Mandiant, and then, <laughs> uh, and then processes with, uh, with CyberArk. So we've, we've done engagements where, uh, every single uh, highly privileged secret, every single domain secret, every single enterprise admin secret needed to be vaulted and rotated over the course of uh, 72 hours. So the uh, on a plane all nighters are something that uh, we're definitely no uh, no stranger to. But at the same time, what we've been seeing more and more in recent years uh, is an increase in the use of our proactive red team efforts. So we've got sort of two parts of it. There's the uh, post breach remediation side of things. And then there's the, hey, like, uh, CyberArk, can your red team come help us out? Let's uh, identify areas of improvement, whether it's relating to our own platform, which, by the way, if your vendors offer red team services, sign them up to attack the platform that you've deployed from them. It makes good sense, but also scaffolded security and things of that nature. So, yes, it's a it's a very common theme for us. So what I guess uh, what we'll we'll sort of wrap this up. Um, what is it that you see in? The future, like what's over the horizon that sort of keeps you up at night or excites you? Um, you know, like we talked with Scott about like the Internet of Things and just like the fact that like in theory, 5G is going to provide, you know, and th- their goal is to have basically Internet or, or data access anywhere like high speed, um, you know. So as this stuff everything starts to get connected and everything has its own credentials and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like how are you guys leaning into this? What are your thoughts on it? And is that even something you're worried about or is it something else? So I think it's very important to prioritize risk as it relates to stuff like the internet of things. Uh, so for instance, I'll, I'll submit to you that most every system has some sort of privileged secret. Uh, you wouldn't really think of it, but like those um, back when we went to movie theaters in the in the before times, those uh, those super fancy the moving uh, pictures, right? Yeah, yeah the things I've heard of those and, things. and there was like sound, and there were these. The, you would eat like popped kernels of of genetically modified corn. materials. It was a Quaint. it was it was something else back then. Let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, but like when you go and you, you get your like super giant like uh, like soda, you take it to this machine and you can like press all these buttons. Oh yeah. Combinations. Well, there exists a privileged level of access there. Now you can't do crazy stuff like bring a bring a business down, but you can modify things like uh, syrup. You make the, co- the Coca Cola taste like garbage. Yeah, exactly. You can change the temperatures, so you'll end up with like flat Sprite. But I mean, to some people, that could make or break their movie going experience. Um, but it's interesting. The concept of Internet of Things it also extends to sort of our own identities. So when we look towards the future, and we've seen this in in recent breaches, uh, is that uh, this concept of uh, privileged access, this concept of a perimeter, everyone says that it's dissolving, but really it starts and ends with us. So, for instance. Uh, Seven years ago, you'd say that CEO's secret, if it's privileged, I got to secure it. Those highly visible applications, I got to secure them. Yeah. But uh, Joe in marketing, eh, you know, he accesses our social media stuff. No big deal. Like, well, we'll get to Joe in marketing a little bit later. Or our HR teams who are responsible for maybe some read-only access into ERP, 
But those users can be used to harm relationships, to mm -hmm. exfiltrate data. So uh, the thing that keeps me up at night is the ever-increasing focus on identity as a mechanism of compromise. It removes a lot of the additional steps that we've seen in more traditional breaches and also it hangs very heavily on the concept of, uh, of relationship uh, compromisations. When we look at these uh, businesses who are made or uh, made or broken by the way that they interact with their customer bases, some of the big ones might be able to handle it. But as uh, markets continue to get saturated, whether we're talking about security stuff, whether we're talking about uh, software servicing, whether we're talking about the social media platforms we use, the wrong compromise there means that we've lost. 200,000 users. We've lost recurring revenue from ads. So it's that identity thing that um, continues to be interesting on my side of things. And, and smell-based multi-factor, because at some point, who doesn't want to have their smell <laughs> recognized by their system and, the, and then get logged in? Have you, guys, have you guys heard about that, by the way? Like there, there uh, that's like, a real thing. Working on that. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, man. I don't think I, they I, call it that. Like, I feel like that's like, yeah. the, that's like a Only childish a way of saying it. Yeah. Confirmation. Yeah. I, I've, human, I've human seen signature based like, authentication. Yeah, yeah. I've seen like that. Yeah. I've seen like the ones where uh, it, it uses the light and it can read the blood vessel through your finger, which is Crazy. like, like more of a telling, like your fingerprints are actually pretty crappy. Like yeah. you can, you can copy fingerprints pretty easily and, and fool fingerprint readers. And even iris readers are, are really not that spectacular. I get, um, I, but, I get all kinds of visuals with the, with the smell. Yeah. Smell reader. Yeah, I know. It's uh, yeah. It, the little USB fob. It looks like a nose. You just plug it in yeah, or, or you, you try to use it and then the screen cracks and you're like, that's offensive. I'm not that I, I went for a jog. All right. Chill out. phone. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. I guess, um, you know, and the, the other thing that is going to happen is like, I, I think, you know, the, the fits and starts of the technology that goes along with all this stuff. So like, we're, we're going to see probably a saturation of all the new stuff that comes out. Like, you know, there's much more affordable chips to make IOT stuff. So like everything can be IOT because you can buy that stuff for nothing now and make your own IOT. So like there's all these weird random things that are coming out with, you know, these Wi-Fi chips that are made, you know, in one-offs and as this, you buy them off eBay and then the company disappears overnight. So you don't really know what's going on with it. Um, but I guess ultimately what you're sort of advocating is like, if you have the good processes in place, like the technology will catch up, but it's more important to sort of like, follow a good approach to like security before it's there. Maybe, right. Like maybe I'm sort of rambling. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but like it's all sort of the same thing, regardless of the technology, right? Like it's just, yeah, maybe, um, maybe another way to put it is start with good, good operational practices, good operational hygiene, and then you support that hygiene at scale with the correct automation. Yeah. And you're just layering the stuff on and it doesn't really matter what it's connected to ultimately, as long as you're following the practices instead of what I think some people do. And I could definitely see some companies where you're chasing the technology, right? Like you want to be out in front. And so you're like, just not catching up and like have, you don't start with the good processes to begin with. Yeah. Well, I think I, I do think a lot of people buy technology because it's shiny to mask and shortcut, you know, Good, good. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about uh, AI and, and zero trust and all the other flashy words that make him make the hair stand up in the back of his neck. 
which is which is super important, right? So don't get me wrong. Powerful technology is is needed, right? It helps you uh, it helps you be secure. It helps you uh, become more operationally efficient. But you can start by having a conversation with the team that's given you hardcore by generating visibility. But I think the other the other thing, and you mentioned hygiene, which again goes back to that smell based multi factor somehow. But the other <laughs> thing is is consistency. You connected that. You that's know, pretty right? good, when you, uh, I mean, that's that I, I get like I get like two things right every day. I think that counted for both of them. So right. it's only yeah. it's only we'll downhill it. from only downhill from there. But uh, but there's also a, a consistency argument too. Like you communicate to people, so humans, why you're doing security, uh, yeah. maybe your own team, but have it expand out to other teams as well, especially on the uh, the app side of things. But also when you're looking at security programs, don't forget about the non-human stuff. And we talked about Internet of Things and it got me thinking earlier, like uh, um, I'm a big fan of, of Roombas, right? I mean, who doesn't want a little robot that vacuums for you? I've got, I've got two. One is called Frasier, the other Niles. I thought that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but like, think about it. Like the Roomba will run around in my house without me being here whenever, right? I trust that this thing is not going to like, I don't know, start shooting laser beams at my cat. But I've, I've established uh, an inherent level of trust with my Roomba. I'm cool with it running around in my house when I'm not there. But if I were to show up to your front door with like a, like an auric, like, hey, I'm going to vacuum your house. All you got to right. do is leave me your key. You'd be like, no, stay away. Call the police. <laughs> so it's that same kind of dichotomy when we look inside of our orgs at human access versus non-human access. Like, why do I trust the non-humans more than the humans? Well, it's a good question. So look at them both in a consistent way. Talk to the humans who are responsible for the machines. But also, if you're looking at the right machines to target, it's the stuff that you have, your scanners, your RPA, your discovery. That's a great place to extend those controls without going outside of your own org, as an example. Yeah. Terminator it's, movie wouldn't have existed if uh, Skynet hadn't turned on the planet. So, yeah. There's all, it's all, it's I mean, all it's Skynet. All not john connor at all it's Skynet. <laughs> yeah. actually was no no the guy was called uh what was his name it was like malcolm something something i don't know whoever made uh, yes well now we're gonna have to look that up too so we have a diehard movie possibly and then we have to rewatch the terminator series yeah for a bad it's idea all, though you know it's it's all fun and games it is until your Roomba goes rogue. You come home, cigarettes are smoked, liquor cabinets empty, and the cat's missing. You know they they make like Roomba style lawnmowers too, which I've seen you, those. Yeah, yeah, which is really cool. But then I was like, well, that's something that if it went rogue could cause some serious damage. Oh, yeah, that's just spinning blades cruising out there. I think you have to like be like there's some process that you have to watch it, but I, it's one of those things. But it's like this oh, is like a what's like the next a rogue phase? lawn ninja? Yes. Yeah, so we we you know Brandon had this really beautifully like thought out response. We we should have ended right on that because that was right. very uh, poignant and uh, thoughtful. But we can edit. Well, edit me it's out. true. We can use the technology uh, again. Dangerous business. <laughs> well, Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on uh, and you know helping us with our with our Cyber Arc Week. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I continue to learn uh, through these discussions. And so it was really interesting to, you know, just, I don't know, I guess wrap my head around some of these. It's funny because Scott gave us sort of like high level, nice background, but now we know like why those things work and it's, it is helpful. Yeah. So I do appreciate it. Justin, thank you as always. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. And uh, we will Jenny. talk to you all next time. 